Section 3 of Letters of Mrs. Adams, Volume 1, by Charles Francis Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Section 3, The Memoir, Part 2. It is said by Governor Hutchison, in the third volume of his history, that neither the health of Mr. Adams nor his business admitted of his constant application to public affairs in the manner that distinguished his kinsman Samuel Adams during the years preceding the breaking out of the revolution. If the sum of that application is to be measured by the frequency of his appearance before the public as an actor in an official character upon the scene, the remark is true. For up to the year 1774, he had served but once or twice as a representative in the general court, and in no other situation. But this would furnish a very unfair standard by which to try the extent of his labors for the public. Very often, as much is done by, beforehand, preparing the public mind for action, as by the conduct of that action after it has been commenced, although the visible amount of exertion by which alone the world forms its judgments is, in the two cases, widely different. From the time of his marriage in 1764, perhaps still earlier, when he, as a young lawyer, in 1761, took notes of the argument in the celebrated cause of the writs of assistance, there is evidence constantly presented of his active interest in the revolutionary struggle. There is hardly a year in the interval between the earliest of these dates and 1774 that the traces of his hand are not visible in the newspapers of Boston, elaborately discussing the momentous questions which preceded the crisis. It was during this period that the essay on canon and feudal law was written, a long controversy with Major Brattle upon the payment of the judges and the papers of Novanglis were other, though by no means all, the results of his labors. He drafted several of the papers of instruction to the representatives to the general court, both in Boston and in his native town, and also some of the most elaborate legal portions of the celebrated controversy between that body and Governor Hutchison. The tendency, which all these papers show, to seek for political truth in its fundamental principles and most abstract forms, whilst it takes off much from the interest with which the merely general reader would now consider them, is yet of historical importance, as establishing the fact how little of mere impulse there was in his mode of action against the mother country. They also show the extent of the studies to which his mind applied itself, and the depth of the foundation laid by him for his subsequent career. Yet, during all this time, his professional labors were never intermitted, and ceased only with the catastrophe which shut up the courts of justice, and rendered exertion upon a different theater absolutely necessary to the maintenance of the fabric of society. Perhaps the preceding detail belongs more properly to a memoir of Mr. Adams than to that of his wife. Yet it would be impossible to furnish any accurate idea of her character without explaining the precise nature of the influences acting upon her whilst still young, 
and when that character was taking its permanent form. There was no one who witnessed his studies with greater interest, or who sympathized with him in the conclusions to which his mind was forcing him more deeply than Mrs. Adams. And hence it was that as the day of trial came, and the hour for action drew near, she was found not unprepared to submit to the lot appointed her. Mr. Adams was elected one of the delegates on the part of Massachusetts, instructed to meet persons chosen in the same manner from the other colonies, for the purpose of consulting in common upon the course most advisable to be adopted by them. In the month of August, 1774, he left home in company with Samuel Adams, Thomas Cushing, and Robert Treat Payne, to go to Philadelphia, at which place the proposed assembly was to be held. It is from this period that the correspondence, Mrs. Adams's portion of which is now submitted to the public, becomes interesting. The letter of the 19th of August of this year portrays her own feelings upon this, the first separation of importance from her husband, and the anxiety with which she was watching the course of events. Yet there is in it not a syllable of regret for the past, or of fear for the future, but, on the contrary, an acute perception of the obstacles in the way of an immediate return to peaceful times, and a deliberate preparation by reading and reflection for the worst. The Congress confined itself in its first sessions to consultation and remonstrance. It therefore adjourned after the lapse of only two months. It is during this time that the five letters in the present volume, which bear the date in 1774, were written. They furnish a lively exhibition of the state of public feeling in Massachusetts. That, dated on the 14th of September, is particularly interesting, as it gives an account of the securing the gunpowder from the British in her own town of Braintree, as well as a highly characteristic trait of New England, in the refusal to cheer on a Sunday. The last of this series, dated on the 16th of October, shows that all remaining hopes of peace and reconciliation were fast vanishing from her mind, and in an affecting manner she bids adieu to domestic felicity, perhaps until the meeting with her husband in another world, since she looks forward to nothing further in this than sacrifices as the result of the impending contest. End of section 3